Hello, everybody. Welcome to At the Table. This is Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson, and this is another installment of our podcast. I hope you are enjoying it. I hope you will catch as many of these as you can, and I hope you'll send us your ideas. Bishop at NGUMC.org is the email address if you'd like to suggest a topic or go more in depth about something you've heard. Just let me know, and we'll try to cue that up in the future. I hope you listened to the last podcast when we had Susan Gary Landry, who is the superintendent of the Southwest District, and Debbie Stikes, who's a longtime leader in that district. We talked about small churches and the value of the small church and how uh, we appreciate the ministry of the small church and kind of how we view small churches. It's a great hour of discussion. I hope you will tune into that. Today, our guests are Reverend Dr. Quincy Brown, who is another superintendent in the annual conference. And Claudia, I'll let Quincy introduce Claudia from his district, but we're excited to welcome them. And I commend to you, I want Quincy to tell you about his new book, because he he will lay out some of this stuff in it. He can tell you all about that. But I'm delighted they're here today as we further our conversation about churches that are, I guess, if we want to boil it down to Quincy, churches who are getting it done, churches who are thriving in COVID days, and kind of some of the insights into what they're doing. So I'll turn it over to you. Go ahead, Quincy. Well, thank you, Bishop. And and, uh, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share. I've invited Claudia Minge. Claudia Minge is part of our district strategic growth and church building and location team. She is on staff at Covington First, where she serves as the communications and special events and she basically is the lay equivalent of an executive pastor. Um, mm-hmm. If there's anything that <laughs> needs to be done at Covington first, she does it. Or if she doesn't do it, she's in the middle of it. And so she's one of those go-getter type of people that we're talking about. And so today, I just wanted to just have a conversation about how churches are navigating and pivoting during the COVID-19 pandemic season. It it seems to me that one metaphor, one biblical metaphor to describe this season for good or for ill is the wilderness experience. Mm -hmm. We're no longer in Kansas anymore. I know that's a different (laughs) metaphor. Things are no longer the same. And so churches have been called upon, invited to, and encouraged to begin to figure out what it means to live in this environment. How do we do worship? How do we do outreach? Mm -hmm. How do we do service? How do we engage people inside the walls of our church so that they can engage people outside the walls of our church? How do we do discipleship in this uncertain, unknown, crazy time called COVID? And so part of what I've invited Claudia uh, to do is to tell the story of what uh, one of our churches, uh, Covington First is doing, in a way that might be an example for other churches uh, to do because they've learned how to pivot uh, during this season. And part of the reason that I'm convinced that they're pivoting is that they had a large enough vision and mission pre-COVID that they were attending to uh, so that when COVID hit, they had to begin to shift the how-to, but they never question the why. Mm -hmm. And so Claudia, 
if you will give just a couple of experiences of, of how you all have become the drive-through church in Newton County. <laughs> uh, we have, uh, and thank you for your kind words. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be a part of a team here at Covington First that we do pivot and we don't say that, oh, well, the world shut down, so we are. That was never an option for us. Doug Gilreath is our senior pastor and Jan McCoy is our associate. Um, and they have always been phenomenal with our staff and our leadership team to be innovative, to think outside the box um, because we have to, to do ministry, not with just within our walls, but without outside of our walls. Our church has always been, I feel like very much a leader in the community. We never say an, something that we lead is our event. We are the coordinators or the host, but we firmly believe in pulling the community together. And so many of our events are community driven. We shut down right at Easter and that was devastating to us all, but we, we just proceeded on. We, we had things in place that we were gonna do for the church inside the walls. We mailed, we mailed things, we made phone calls, we had our graduation, our fifth grade recognition, our third grade Bibles, all of that has been virtually done during services, but then we've either had a drive-through or we have actually gone out and delivered uh, things that they would receive to their doorsteps all over the county. Mm. Uh, we had blessing of the backpacks as a drive-through. Um, we have, we're about to have Change the World, which is a huge event that we do every year where thousands of people come onto this campus for a service fair and to give away much needed items to people in need. And um, we've grieved a little over the summer that we have those thousands because it's, it's not just about what we do that day, um, what we do for others, but it's that sense of community. We bring churches of all different denominations and organizations together so we finally got approval to, in a safe and healthy way to have that. And it happens in two weeks. And so it's gonna be a drive-through. We're gonna have a drive-through live nativity because we normally have a nativity on the downtown square and which we were, we're very excited when we get to do that and bring the story of the birth of Jesus to the downtown square, but we couldn't not do it. So yes, mm -hmm. with everything, because it just our life has gone on, but we just kept pressing on to how we can make it happen. It was never ever a question for us of, oh, COVID's here and we have to stop. That that's not what Jesus called us to do. He, mm -hmm. he served. We just had to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. This one example, and there are many. Um, um, there are many in our district. Our, um, we, we're having uh, charge conferences, zone charge conferences, and, and part of the charge conferences, I'm asking our congregations, uh, whether they're clergy or laity, to give one positive thing that they've learned mm -hmm. about their church during COVID and during the pandemic. And uh, many times uh, that conversation uh, expands to about 10 to 15 minutes. And and this is the church's way, my way of giving the church permission to have a humble brag about the things that they're doing and how they're pivoting. Claudia, could you just tell the viewers about what your mission is, the mission of, of Covington First? 
our mission is to make sure that the next generation of our community has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. And so that in the book that I wrote uh, with the help of the district pastors and the laity in this district suggests that their mission is big enough for the people who are already in the church as well as people who are not yet there. They had that before COVID. And it's big enough so that when COVID hit, that didn't change, but they were able to pivot. And so the takeaway for me, the encouragement for me is what I'm seeing throughout the district is during pandemic time, if you've got a discipleship process that has a big enough mission and vision, uh, it will help you to begin to figure out what works best for you in your community the best of who God has provided in terms of leadership. And so it's, it's less about what we don't have. It's more about what is God calling us to do? One thing that I would love to share is we have expanded so much our food pantry. We've always had a very um, huge food pantry that was open two days a week. And then the third Saturday, we had a mobile the first of the month. Well, with people losing jobs, schools closing down, um, our food pantry also pivoted and came up. And for the first few months, we were open six days a week. Uh, mm. Matt Holgan, who's our uh, director of that, has done a phenomenal job. And our food pantry, again, is not driven just by Covington First volunteers. She has hundreds of volunteers that are throughout the community, churches, mm. organizations, and so now that a lot of people have gone back to work and kind of gotten in a rhythm, we are open three days a week and two weekends. And we serve uh, between 900 and 1,000 families a month. Wow. I hear a couple things. One thing that uh, really encourages me, and I think it's the wave of the future, is the incredible value of partnerships. And to see uh, the church as in ministry to an entire community, not just the people who are there. And to, and to uh, I think to do ministry to an entire community, you have to have partners, right? Because the, the problems are too huge. But it's interesting to me that anytime I've seen churches and, and governmental institutions, I've, you know, I've worked in churches where we partnered with the school board, where we partnered with law enforcement, where we partnered with uh, mental health, where we partnered with anybody and everybody, including other churches, other ministries, other forms, uh, rather than uh, seeing uh, each partner's membership dwindle, there seems to be a synergy there that, that uh, everybody, all the boats rise when the community mm -hmm. becomes your ministry. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I would say over the years, a sign of a declining church is a church that knows nothing about its community, is disconnected from its community, and really sees, like you said, Claudia, uh, I, I served a church and we had some folks every time, can we, can we, you know, is this for us or for them? Is this for us or for them? And finally, the ethos of the church came to be, I think, Christ-like when they said there is no us in them. And, and one woman, she was the stalwart, uh, <laughs> raised her voice in church council, said, can't we just have an event for us? 
we've been doing events for them for years now. Can't, and, and everybody just looked at her horrified and said, there is no SMM. I mean, the, we got to, you know, we are Christ to our community. So uh, I, I really am excited to, to hear that. And that is, I think, the key. The other thing I heard that I think is so important is your focus on generations to come. I'm much, you know, when I evaluate a church or look at a church, I'm always looking at how are they serving the people who aren't there? How are they reaching generations that aren't there yet? Are they more obsessed with their own needs and who's in the pews already? Or are they more obsessed with generations to come? And I would also say another huge red light, warning signs, you know, blah, blah, is if you don't have children in your congregation, if you don't have any way to uh, develop, day you don't have any children in your congregation is when you say, okay, how are we going to be uh, intentionally in ministry, the community and attract children? Or how are we going to shut the doors here and go merge with another church that does have children? Because, you know, uh, the, the, I don't know who said it first, but one of the mantras is uh, Christianity is always one generation away from death because you have to pass it on. Uh, and and I'll, I'll tell one more story and then I'll throw it back to you. I remember I served a church and there was a, a woman in her late 80s. Her name was Zinta Floyd. You don't find many Zintas in the world. And Zinta had grown up in Wisconsin and uh, they had sheep on their farm in Wisconsin. And it got cold in the winter as it does in Wisconsin. And they would have to bring the lambs into their basement. Can you imagine the whole family had to suffer through the smell, the care. It was, everybody was invested in the lives of these lambs because this was the family's livelihood. No matter how much sacrifice, no matter how bad it smelled, no matter how displaced they were, all, all of their efforts centered on raising up another generation of lambs. And that's how I've seen the church ever since. We got to raise up another generation of lambs, even if it means we hate their music, even if it means it, we have to, you know, I might be 75 years old and have to teach Sunday school if nobody else volunteers. I might have to get out of my own comfort zone. I might have to sacrifice. But, you know, the heart of Christianity is sacrificial love, sacrificial giving, and sacrificial tending to the lambs. And I think that's important. So I hear both of those are happening at Covington. That's what's happening, I think, at any, any vibrant church or any church that is truly effective in spreading the gospel message. So uh, other thoughts, you guys, about how we um, have health in COVID? I was going to say that um, you are correct. And our focus has been on, our, we have, we're very blessed. We have so many young families and this has been, and even though we, we started back worship June 28th, and we're here every Sunday, we have a great team in place to keep everyone safe. Um, but our young families are not coming back because we're not mm -hmm. having children's programs and that kind of thing. And it's a small number, uh, some Sundays, but we have a huge virtual presence. And mm -hmm. we're now live streaming. We have really escalated our technology and so we have a lot of views, but we have done Zoom with our kids. Our kids have gotten uh, Sunday school lessons and all of that mailed every single month. We had virtual VBS. Um, and this summer, when things got a little better, our three, four, and five-year-olds started meeting. We have a club three, four, five. 
out in people's backyards mm-hmm. and our youth started back meeting in your backyard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we've now that keeps growing that keeps growing the numbers coming back and yesterday we had a K through two kindergarten through second on one side of the yard and club three four five so we had uh, over 60 children out here yesterday and their parents um and they were thrilled to see each other and right. that they have loved the, they've zoomed, they've done all kinds of things. But um, so I guess they, they know that we care. We have, we have done everything to let, to stay in communication with them all the way up to our seniors um, because we want them to know that we know they're there and mm-hmm. them, and we want them to be back here in a normal life one day. <laughs> right, right. You know, I, um, as listening to uh, Claudia and you, Bishop, uh, the thing that, that, that strikes me is their mission is about generation. Uh, every church has a unique way based upon its culture and its stories of the past to begin to dream about what its future can be and what God is calling them to be in the future. And so we've got one example of a church uh, who might uh, for other churches might feel a little larger when you hear the conversations about the uh, K through two and five and six. Uh, and so when we talk about churches not having young families, uh, we've got churches that are established churches. And so they're finding creative ways to c- engage with its community. And for some uh, churches, uh, my generation, Generation X, mm-hmm. um, uh, which the, the, the larger end of my generation is 55. Uh, and then uh, my generation is a prime generation for established churches to reach out to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you may not have children in your church, but I can think of uh, a handful of churches that I've heard from this past week that have done trunk or treat. And they were just overwhelmed with the community and younger people in the community, and it provided them opportunities to reach out. Had a church, uh, several churches, we celebrate professions of faith. We've had several churches that have large numbers of professions of faith during COVID. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I attribute that to understanding what their particular mission is. Mm -hmm. And so, Every church is unique. And so the, so in COVID, COVID is a timeout. Uh, it could either drain us in terms of the energy um, or it can provide us an opportunity to look back and say, hey, what if we did this? Or how can we do that better? Uh, right. and, and, and what is it that we've been doing all this time? Because many churches are finding that their finances are either on the increase or there are uh, is more than it was last year and part of that might be because they're not spending it on things that they otherwise would spend it on right but they're not missing it yeah and so it's an evaluation opportunity as well to figure out where we used to be settled people this is an unsettling time to prepare us for a new settled space and what right. god is calling us to be and so you know, we've got several examples of churches and in, in 80 of these 85 churches in this district that I can just name. Uh, I won't do that because I don't have a list in front of me and I'll miss somebody. And, and I don't want to do that. 
I think too, um, as we look at what are some of the opportunities that COVID has given us, I think it's also an opportunity to reclaim our own personal responsibility for our spiritual life and nourishment. Uh, I think, you know, never has that when people complain about not particularly liking their particular pastor's preaching style, I'm always like, you can go, you can go on iTunes or YouTube or you can, you can find any, you can find any preacher anywhere. I mean, you can, you know, and courses, there's some amazing courses out there on uh, any Bible any book of the Bible, or, you know, maybe we should really see this as a time to resource folks and say, look, you need to take some ownership. And I, I do think that a lot of, um, a lot of times we've abdicated, abdicated the, the um, teaching of our children to the church. You know, I should love Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus so much that I am primarily responsible for the, for the um, spiritual nurture and development of my child. So, I mean, if you're sending Claudia Perfect, if you're sending great Zoom stuff or great, I mean, how do we help families uh, claim their spiritual lives together, claim responsibility for teaching their children? You know, I would, I, 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 for too long, we've just dropped our kids at the church and just trusted that they'll do the whole thing when that's just not, that's not how it should be done, right? Uh, nothing impresses upon my children a lifetime of spiritual investment than my behavior, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know my daughter has seen me read the Bible every day of, and her father every day of her life. My daughter has, you know, knows that we publicly worship on a, uh, in a routine, that we tie, that we do all these things. So I think the COVID has given us a time to reclaim the family unit and to really nourish ourselves together rather than just, you know, drop, dropping them off at the church and, and you mm -hmm. know, hoping it'll happen. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, uh, having served large churches, we had numerous children whose parents would drop them at the church while they went to brunch, right? Which just is not, is not the kind of, of sacrificial discipleship. And we see the fruits of that, sadly, in our church. But a, a, a lot, you know, all generations longing to be closer to God, longing to um, invite more into the into mm -hmm. the family of God. It's a powerful thing, and I, I think there's a lot of regrouping that we as mm -hmm. the church need to do. Mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, you you know, when you said that, it makes me think about uh, is what are the needs of the community and how might the church offer them? For instance, one of the things that I've noticed because I haven't been out a lot because of my pre-existing condition and trying to stay safe. And mm -hmm. so on Sunday, that affords me the opportunity to see at least five churches. Uh, right. That I, that I otherwise would not Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Typically I'd do two if I was in person on a good day, but now I can do about five. Uh -huh. And so I'm trying to keep up with all the churches and, and that's a job in, in and of itself. And that says a lot to the, the laity, the committed laity of the district and the clergy who are doing an outstanding job of getting content out. Um, and so the question that makes me, that, I, that spurs me to think about is why is it that people keep coming back to our YouTube or our Facebook um, links on Sunday? And I think I got the answer. And the answer is we are offering them something that they can't get anywhere else mm -hmm. in our message. 
Right. And so part of discipleship for me would be, okay, how do we package that so that we're sending opportunities for people uh, during the week? I've got an 11 year old nephew and a 17 year old niece uh, who will graduate high school this year. And they're in Cobb County and they're not in school. And so mm-hmm. they're always in front of the computer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and my, my, um, my uh, nephew, Aaron, uh, is a spectacular baseball player. He's just an outdoor kind of kid. And so he wants to be outside. And the best thing for him is to allow him to be with his friends in a socially distant way. And so what, you know, how, how are we think? how are our churches offering um, ways to engage our congregation so that they can help family life? How are we right. being disciples to our kids? You know, right. uh, I've often said, uh, every pastor and every church member needs to have a 2 a.m. friend. Yeah. Um, when, when, when the bottom falls out, you need to be able to pick up the phone and know that that person will pick up and, and be there for you. Um, yep. and, and right now, we need that more than ever. You know, I, I need a 2 a.m. friend. I need a 2 p.m. <laughs> friend. I need an 11 o'clock friend. Right. Because, uh, you know, this time is crazy and it affects my sleeping patterns. It probably affects yours too. And so how do we as a church be the church to ordinary people to offer them hope in mm-hmm. a season where hope is something that is fleeting for them? We're, we're coming up on Advent. So how might we do that? How might we offer an opportunity for Christmas? Because if there's ever a season that we needed to celebrate Christmas, it's 2020. Yeah. And the power of, of vision beyond where we are. I mean, scripture, I think, is uniquely, I, I've had a weird summer. I've been writing uh, some preaching helps for the Abingdon Preacher's Manual, some entries, and my, and my entries are for Advent 2021. So I've lived Advent all summer. And actually, yesterday I did a, a, a reading for, for a Christmas Eve lessons and carol service. So all summer, and, you know, it's been Christmas for a while for me, which has been a nice place to live. But uh, that said, I love like the Isaiah text and, and some of them, uh, you know, they paint such a dim and dreary picture that kind of describes where we are with illness all around. And, and, you know, one of Isaiah's visions is it's all snakes and jackals. And I mean, just if you wanted to like paint a more grim picture, but then in the next chapter, talks about the presence of God and the desert blooming and the, you know, the amazing images of, of joy and health and life. And we need that. We need to be reminded that we will have that again. And that with God. uh, And so I think, I think the heart of the church is we sustain a vision that can, that can um, keep people hopeful and yes. looking for a new day. And um, I think there's a lot of power in knowing that my identity in the wilderness time, I am there to help and to encourage and to be a beacon. And, and that's an identity. And once you have that identity, you're not the victim and you're not the naysayer and you're not contributing to the, to the gloom. And um, what, a great, what a great privilege it is to say, you know, this isn't the last word. The world has dealt through this before. There's not one person in the Bible who, you know, despite some of the prosperity gospel preaching, there's not one person in the Bible who had it easy or uh, without conflict or, you know, no stones in the road that there are always, but it's the vision of God 
sustaining and moving and helping and the vision of a better world and a united world and a world at one table, uh, there's a lot of strength and power in that. And so I would say um, for Advent preaching, you know, go to the dark, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And boy, we know what walking in the gloom right now is a light is about. But um, proclaim it. I mean, the mm-hmm. preaching power, the and and the church. I mean, if people can see the light of the church, the church in in motion, the church feeding and hopeful. Uh, you know, you asked earlier, Quincy, how do churches find out where they can be most helpful in their communities? And I know in my past, I always knew the guidance counselors at the local schools well, mm-hmm. because they could tell me the families, the heartbreak. What It was funny because one of my relatives the other day said, can you believe there's like 4,000 homeless children in, in this county in Florida? I said, well, yeah, but let's talk about what homeless means. Uh, and this I learned from my guidance counselor friends that in the U.S. homeless count, you're counted as homeless if you live in a motel. If you're a child that lives in a motel, you're in the homeless count. Or if you have displaced a family, like, you know, if Quincy's family uh, was out of work and they needed a place to live and I took in his whole family, um, they, if there were children, they would be counted as homeless because they are displaced. And so uh, what we learned from the guidance counselors was you know what, we've got a ton of kids living in motel rooms and they need, and one year at Christmas, our drive was solely for um, uh, crockpots. Mm-hmm. We bought out the crockpots, you know, because think if you live in a motel room, you can heat water, you can cook stuff, you can, so, but part of it is knowing the guidance counselors, knowing law enforcement, knowing the, the mental health counselors, they can tell you what's the pulse of the community, what are they hearing over and over again. There's just a lot of partnerships and ways you need to be have inroads with and have them on your speed dial. Because most sheriff's deputies, I've always known a lot of them, they can tell me exactly what kind of calls they're getting or what's on the mind of the of the you know the politicians your local politicians they're getting the counts all the time so Mm -hmm. um the churches should not be isolated you know we're not and what a bad image of the church that we're kind of hunkered down um in a you know in our own little tunnel waiting for all this to go by that's the wrong image we are to be frontline workers man Yes. And Covington, thank you for doing it. What a great model well, for that. Networking is so important in building a relationship. We have a slogan here in Newton County called One Newton, like hashtag One Newton. Uh-huh. And we really do work together as a community, but we have, we've developed that over the years. One example is uh, Keep Covington Clean and Beautiful is the organization that keeps Covington clean and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a relationship with her. She participates in a lot of things. We do the director there. And she came in contact with a lady recently whose water line had broken. She's an elder lady. Her water line had broken. She lives a long way off the street and she couldn't afford. And so she had water. So she called um, the church and she um, asked me, she said, you know, I know y'all, you, you have a lot of local mission work that y'all do. And she said, I've got this lady and 
here's the situation. And I immediately, you know, we talked with Doug, we called our mission chair and in the next week, um, he had assembled a group of our mission people. They went, they dug her a new water line, hooked it up, everything. Um, mm, wow. We had no idea who this lady was. And mm-hmm. say all this to, there's no like, we are here to serve. This isn't like, mm-hmm. right. consider anything we do like, yay us. We don't need to be on, in the paper yeah. we need to be, but we're just doing God's work. And I think people realize that, that this is truly where our heart is. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is why we have gotten a lot of young families or just and not even not young families into the church because they want to be a part. They want to work. They want to do God's mm-hmm. work. They want to be the hands and feet. And and that's what we try to provide for people, a place where they can do that. Um, yeah. It certainly feels like Covington has done their due diligence in understanding its community and then meeting the need of the community. Uh, there are so many churches that may feel that this is overwhelming um, because uh, it's not how it used to be. And mm-hmm. you know, to those churches, the encouraging word I have is, there are processes that you can go through. Um, uh, they're as simple as this. Once you do the things that we've just talked about, talking to the, your deputy, talking to different partnerships, talking to the counselors, you identify what the need is. Right. Okay? That's the need outside the walls of the church. But then you've got to have energy inside the walls of the church to meet that. And so you've got to have what I call, what you all are calling a vision, I call a God dream. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a dream of God's future picture for your church that is big enough to include everybody who's there and folks who are not yet there. That's compelling. And once you have that, then you have a need and you have your God dream. Then you've got to ask, do we have people inside our church that has the passion and the capacity and the ability to meet the need. Not that we've got uh, a cousin or an uncle or a brother-in-law or an ex-member, but do we have actual people in our church that meet that need? Fourth, are there resources available that we might need to help meet that need? If um, you start with, well, I have a passion for a certain particular uh, outreach and that's my passion and we ought to do that, but there's no need, don't do it. Mm. If there is a need and you don't have people in the church to do it, let that one go by, Mm -hmm. okay? There are other churches out there that God has provided that can meet that need. There's enough to go around for everyone, but but it has to meet a need in a community. You have to have people in your church who have mm-hmm. the capacity to do it, there has to be resources, uh, whether it is a large number of resources, a small number of resources. And once you have those four things, then that's what you begin to work on in your community. And over time, it begins to build momentum in many of the ways that Covington has done, but it's unique to your particular church. And so not everybody's going to be next to an elementary school uh, where they can pull, you know, 15 kids. 
Well, the most successful ministries I've ever seen have started very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I served a church and uh, there was a lay woman in the church and her 20-year-old son was killed in a motorcycle crash. Mm, and she, um, she was devastated and she really felt like the church had not, had dropped the ball, hadn't responded to her, hadn't given her the care she needed. And, you know, instead of, you know, taking her toys and stomping off like a lot of people do, sadly, she vowed that nobody would ever have that experience again in the church. And so she started calling everybody who had a loss. And then she started recruiting retired ministers to go be part and lobbied the church to have a full-time visitation pastor. And then, I mean, over 25 years, uh, oh, and then she had a group that wanted to go visit people who had just come home from the hospital. And then she had a woman who volunteered to make casseroles to take to everybody who came home from the hospital. And then she had a woman who volunteered to make she would t- make beautiful greeting cards from old Christmas cards to send to all the shut-ins. I mean, it's just little components. Yes. As people came and, you know, what were their gifts and what did they bring and what could they do? And uh, I still remember visiting a young woman. She had had a hernia operation. She was probably like 32, 33 years old. And she said, I can't wait to get healed. I said, why? She goes, because I want to go visit people and take them something when they come home from the hospital. I want to take them one of Mrs. Galladay's casseroles. I said, why? Mm -hmm. She goes, because for the first time in my life, I understand how important that is. I can't tell you how grateful I was that my family had food to eat and people who cared. And somebody called and made sure I had my medications and that things were going well. And, you know, it's incremental, but you just got to start. And it's always, though, about moving out. It's always about moving beyond your own comfort zone and moving, you know, and just saying, you know, I don't have a lot of time, but I might have time to visit one person or call one person. I mean, I think we're back to old phone trees, you know, that's a lot of the phone tree and uh, you don't need much technology for that, but to, to call folks and to have them be encouraged and to find out how they are. So I think in many ways, we're back to the basics and the church had lost mm-hmm. sight of that. I mean, we kidded, we kidded ourselves that a lot of this stuff, you know, was passe, but it, it is deeply relational and deeply rena- relational on behalf of everybody in your community. And um, I, I'm excited by the possibilities. I think we're learning a lot in COVID and, um, you know, we'll be forever changed, no doubt. So Amen. Um, so Quincy, I want you to tell us the name of your book. So the book okay. is called Discipleship Path, Guiding Conversations to Connect with Jesus. This is a, this is a manual written uh, for churches uh, that churches can pick up and actually do. I've had several churches that are doing it. I've worked with five churches myself in the district. Um, I've got one church I'm working with now, started working with. I got four more in January where we actually work through the process uh, and it's a three-step process of discerning the best of your past. Uh, churches that are established have a long history of stories. Some of them are good. Some of them are not told. The ones that are not told tends to be the ones that are like what I call ghost stories, and they tend to haunt the church. And yeah. so how do we get to the the the, the understanding and what underlies that story. And it's typically about disruptive change. 
And so once we do that, then we begin to uh, dream um, and we begin to create a God dream. Uh, churches are able to actually write in seven to 10 words based upon all the work from their previous history, the best of their stories of what God might be calling them uh, forward. Mm -hmm. uh, the biblical uh, reference is in Exodus when they begin to take, before they take the uh, journey, uh, God gives provisions and requirements about uh, um, food instruction and pre preparation. No leaven is to be found in the community. Right. And you get all of that. And there's a small obscure verse in there that says, and take the bones of Joseph with you. Mm -hmm. Those stories, those relational, connectional stories of the past will always help you to create a larger future that's meaningful. That, by, that gives buy-in to the congregation uh, in this change process. Once you have this God dream, now you're able to dis de develop uh, the path for discipleship. And in my book, what I suggest is instead of coming up with something new, let's come up, let's just use what we already have. Let's use the membership vows of United Methodist that everybody knows, prayers, presence, gifts, witness, and service, and say, these are the outcomes and the measurements of discipleship. Mm -hmm. So how do you help a person who is only worships on two or three of the big Sundays? You know what they are, Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter. How do you help them move from that to uh, worshiping God every day, every place, all the time? Mm -hmm. How do you help somebody um, uh, in terms of they've just, they, they, they're upside down living financially? How do you help them to get to there to being a sacrificial giver? Right. Uh, how do you help people who don't believe that their life is, uh, is meaningful and they can't make a difference to living a life of committed service that we've been talking about all along? Mm -hmm. In the book, there are exercises and steps to help you to develop your path based upon who the church's identity is. And what that does is it creates energy. And, and if you've ever been in a church that has energy, it's contagious. Yeah. And, and people want to show up. And so uh, this church is, this book is a revitalization process that's written for any church to pick it up. Mm -hmm. I, I go buy Quincy's book. If you want him to come help work you through it, that'd I'm be great. I'm happy but, to do uh, that. I, you know, Amazon, Cokesbury, Disciples Path, right? By Dr. Quincy the, Brown. Discipleship Path, uh, Quincy Brown. Just type in Discipleship Path, Quincy Brown. It'll show up on Amazon. And, and, and um, I would welcome an opportunity to talk to any church about this process. Uh, because I believe that the hope of the world is in the church. Mm -hmm. And I believe that our call to the church is still to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and the only way I know how to make disciples of Jesus Christ is we've got to engage people inside the church so that they can engage people outside the church. And that's the only way I know how to do it. Right. You know, I, I, another thing that I would suggest um, when I was in the local church, I would spend a lot of time walking and talking to people. Mm -hmm. And I would walk, you know, I'd strike up a conversation with them and 
and ask them, you know, is there a church in the community that's really, that they'd really recommend that's getting it done? And I just listen to them. Mm-hmm. And usually there'd be a church that's name came up over and over and over again, uh, who were really known for being salt and light and, and um, yeast in the community. And I would make an appointment to go see that pastor or that staff and just talk to them because clearly they're getting something done. And then I would also walk around and ask if anybody ever heard of my church. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's and that one, sometimes one. was daunting, you know, no, yeah. Yeah. never, never really heard of that church, but yeah. it gave me a goal. It gave me a goal, you know, because if you're not excited about your church, nobody else is going to be. And sure. I, I, I knew I was going to be moved. Uh, the year I had a chaplain, uh, a hospice chaplain come see me. He was a Presbyterian pastor and he made an appointment, came see me. And he said, I just wanted to meet you because you know what? Our hospice patients, anybody in this community, if I if I I'll ask, do you know a compassionate church where, uh, you know, who who really are there for folks and really take their ministry seriously? And he said they always say this church. And I was I knew I was going to be moved because I knew my work was done. But um, another time when I was an associate at church, I was in a pizza hut one night. And no lie, every table around me was talking about a different ministry at the church I served. They didn't know me because we had a big staff and I was only minister to a very, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but that's what you want. You want word on the street. You want a yeah. sense of excitement and joy. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're not pumped up about your church, nobody else is going to be. So That's right. That's right. I, I typically in the process of the uh, uh, discipleship path 3D journey, uh, I typically ask as the first question, uh, if you were to go to the closest convenience store or the closest grocery store or the closest big box store and ask for directions to your church, do they know the, Do they know its name and do they know how to get there? And if yes, we celebrate. If no, then we've got some work to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. Um, and thank you to Covington, Claudia. Thank you for your witness there. Um, you know, there are bright spots all over North Georgia. This, this conversation could be had about so many churches. So uh, don't get discouraged is my word to a smaller church or a church that just feels like its best days are past or there's no energy. Just, you know, ask God, get Quincy's book, ask God for a vision and start talking to people in your community. Um, sometimes it's the smallest things that are needed. I think you'll be amazed at, at how some needs are revealed to you. And, um, you know, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity. And, and during COVID, uh, once again, cultivate your young families, cultivate people to take ownership of their own spiritual lives. Uh, Teach them, you know, teach them how to, find great sermons online, find great Bible studies online, find great devotionals online. They're all out there. It's just a matter of helping people um, feed themselves. And uh, I'll close with this. Years ago, uh, Willow Creek Church, you know, they had these five five things that every member was going to do, and they had to be part of a small group. They had to read the Bible and everything. Well, they did a study. They retained a group, and they wrote a book called Reveal. And they um, uh, saw, um, they asked people who in this church is most like Jesus. 
And they went and talked to those people because they had pretty much consensus. You know, if people, somebody's like Jesus, others tend to notice it. <laughs> and they went and interviewed these people and found out they were the ones most likely to be considering leaving the church. Mm. And they found that uh, part of the church's goal has to be to keep people fed at whatever spiritual level they are. And so I would say, you know, there, every church needs different tracks, beginner level, challenger level, you know, always challenging, but also an understanding that you will feed yourself. The church is not, there's a great psalm where it says, help me, oh God, to be like a weaned child at your breast, right? Because at some point, God probably gets tired of us just taking all the time, right? Mm -hmm. God needs some weaned children. God needs some folks who are ready to feed themselves and take some responsibility and do some nurturing. And so I would say, feed yourself, talk to people. I mean, sometimes I love it when people on, on social media just say, can anybody give me a great book mm -hmm. about X that they've read or a great study mm -hmm. or a great Bible study or some really challenging sermons. You have all the tools. I, I, whenever I lead a Bible study, uh, I'd always say, you know, you don't have to have a special password to order a Bible commentary. <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, that all of these tools to feed yourself are there. And so that's my last word, I think, on this podcast. Uh, take ownership for your spiritual life. And be a force in your church, demanding that you're in ministry to your community, that you're uh, creating a God vision, that you're moving out in different ways. And then this just isn't some uh, thing you give lip service to and not something you just go through the motions of doing. You're missing the joy. You're missing the joy of ministry. You're missing the joy of being part of a vibrant church. You're missing the joy of being on a force for God throughout your community in the world. And so I'll leave it at that. Claudia, Quincy, thank you again. Uh, just thank do you. it. Yeah, thank just you, do Mr. it. Thank and you. These, may these COVID days be the best ever in your spiritual life. Amen. <laughs> amen. And amen. amen. Thanks a lot, you guys. Thank I appreciate you. it. Okay. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together. <laughs>